0: John, come on up here if you would, buddy. Praise the Lord. Uh, mm-hmm. Jonathan, Jonathan grew up here at Lakeside Assembly. He came to this church when he was six months old, and uh, he grew up. Can you imagine that I was just a hair older than him when I, when I became your pastor at this church? And uh, I know I don't look any different. Uh, And uh, we have had a great Christmas uh, 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 with the family. Uh, We had our traditional uh, Christmas treasure hunt. Your pastor, and John will tell you this, he literally spends hours upon hours putting together clues. If you've seen the movie, uh, what is it, National Treasure? Treasure national, it's kind of based on that. And I hide clues that are mainly based upon the Bible and theology. This year on archaeology and space science, and I hide all kinds, alphanumeric clues. Uh, You have to use a magnifying on some, some of the clues you have to put against a mirror to read it. I mean, every way does. they have to work with a compass, and Oh, it's wild. And they spend about three hours going through the house until they find the grand prize. And this, pray for me, because this afternoon we go home to the, the traditional Christ family Olympics. And uh, that's what's going to happen this afternoon. And so we, we just have a great time at Christmas. We've had an awesome week. And it's been so good to have Jonathan fly in from Southern California. He has it really hard. He pastors in San Clemente, uh, California, just above San Diego, and uh, has an apartment there on the beach where he's learned to be a surfer, surfs all the time, and uh, uh, he's a graduate of Azusa Pacific uh, Seminary where he received his Master's of Divinity, and we just knew Uh, after his graduate we just knew that we had lost another Michigan boy to California I don't know if he'll come back and uh, he has just met uh, a love of his life and so pray for the Lord's uh, direction in his life and it's so good to have the whole family together show your love to Jonathan Christ Pastor John (laughs) thank you
1: you guys know so much about me now. No, it's awesome. Thanks so much, Dad, for allowing me to come and speak this morning, and it's so good to be back in the church that I grew up in, and I'm able to, like, look to see where I sat back there. I would try to sit as far back as possible. I think my dad would always talk to me afterwards, make me sit as forward as possible, Uh, but it was so amazing growing up here and now being able to come back for Christmas. I think you can agree with me. There's nothing like being with family for Christmas, right? For Thanksgiving, Christmas, the, these essential holidays that we celebrate throughout the year. There's nothing like being back home. And so that's been really cool for me. And uh, I was even reminded of just how amazing memories we've had as a family growing up. One of my siblings gave each of us a Christmas gift, a a kind of a do-it-yourself coffee mug. She's actually walking down the aisle right now. No. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it was so cool because Julie gave each of us a coffee mug where she, she wrote on the mug, like, all these inside jokes that we've had over the years, these special memories, trips we've gone on. And, like, that's something that's just amazing that we can all cherish forever. And so I just thought, man, that's just so cool to be able to come home and relive these amazing Memories. Well, speaking of memories, 2013 is now going to become a memory for us. The cool thing about speaking on this Sunday is, is this is the pivotal Sunday in which 2013 is soon going to become the past. And 2014 will very quickly become the present. What is in the future will become our reality in the present. What kind of year has 2013 been for you? Maybe I like engaging the audience sometimes. I like you guys engaging each other here on a Sunday morning. I want you guys to do something kind of maybe different for for a change. I want you to tell the person next to you right now the first word that comes to your mind about how you felt about 2013. Go. One word. thank you how did you feel about 2013 what kind of choices what kind of decisions what opportunities what activities did you engage in that either brought some some immense joy in your life or maybe or maybe you feel as if you might feel now after eating all of that holiday food and that dessert and that candy you might have some regrets Maybe 2013 was was an experience, a year in which you look back and you say, man, I wish I would have done things differently. I think at times we can look back on our lives and think, man, the whole year passed by. It seemed like I was sleepwalking through life. It seemed like I was just existing, kind of like a zombie walking through this past year. Maybe I was just on autopilot. I think that can be the experience for many of us in life. And if we're not careful, we'll miss out on what my dad talked about, being underneath the blessing of God. Because there is no gray area. There's no middle ground. It's black and it's white. You're either under God's blessing, you're living a blessable life, or you're under God's cursing. And I don't want to live there. I don't want to exist there because it's not true living anyways. So my theme, my question my, my pivotal question for you this morning is, are you blessable? Are you blessable? you know that you can become blessable and you can become curseable? Maybe you're sitting here and you say, I don't know what that means. I mean, I know what, I think I'm blessed, or I think I know what it means to see someone who is blessed, or to experience some, some blessings here on earth, but I'm not sure what it means to become a blessable person. Well, I want to share with you this morning how each and every one of us can become blessable in 2014. When I say blessable, I'm asking you this. Are you living into God's fullest intention, God's God's specific dream and plan for your life? Are you experiencing the fullness of life that God created us humans to live in the first place? Some people will say that the reason that you're not blessable or the reason that you're not experiencing the fullness of life is geographical. Geographical. Maybe if you moved to the mountains or if you moved to the beach, then everything would change. Every little piece in your life would fit, and you would begin to be a happy person, a joyful person, a cheerful person. But let me tell you, uh, I, I truly live in one of the most beautiful places in the nation, and there are zombies walking through that area. There are people that are, that, that are merely existing and not... Living out to the fullest potential, the joy and the freedom and the love that God offers us. Changing geography isn't going to fix it. Others will say, well, your problem is occupational. If you had that person's job, or if you made that level of income, or if you had that kind of status or prestige in what you're doing in life, then you would be happy. Then you would be fulfilled. Everything would work out. But we know that sometimes when you talk to the richest people materially here on earth, at times they're the most unhappy. And I've heard story after story of, of people that have made a ton of money here on this earth that are on their deathbed and no one visits them because they never invested in the other people's lives. They didn't live a blessable life. Other people will say, hey, your problem is relational. If I was just married, if I would just find the woman or the man of my dreams, then everything would work out. If I could just find someone. Or maybe if you are married, if, if, I, if I could just marry that person, if, if I was married to that person, then everything would be awesome. Or maybe if you're married, man, if I was single, then everything would work out and everything would be awesome in my life. Someone shared with me one time a cool quote that's always just kind of lingered with me. They said this. They said, John, you know, wherever you are, there you are. (laughs) Super simple. But wherever you are, there you are. Whatever job you're in, whatever marriage you're in, your single life, wherever you live, you take you. You don't take anything else. You take what God is doing or not doing in you there. So I challenge each and every one of us and challenge myself this morning as we look forward to 2014, where are you and who are you going to choose to become this year? I have shoulder issues. I don't know if anyone else here has like bone, ligament damage or or muscle tissue damage, but I have shoulder issues just from some different sports injuries and stuff through the years. And, And so before I work out or before I surf, I do something that I hate doing, stretch. I hate stretching. I hate hate having to take the time to do all these awkward movements and you see those people in the gym doing all these weird funky stretches and I'm like I don't want to be that guy. I just want to go in and get it done. I want to jump in the water, I want to I want to go play basketball, I want to lift some weights. I don't want to take time to stretch. I feel like I'm wasting time. But do you know that God desires to stretch you and it's actually an essential part not only of our physical body so that our muscles can grow and we can function like we're supposed to function but it's actually also an essential part of our spiritual life. That if we don't stretch ourselves and if we don't allow ourselves to become stretched by our Creator then we will shrivel up and die. That our spiritual muscles won't function the way that they were created to function. So this morning, I want to stretch us. I want to stretch myself. And In 2014, I want you to humble yourself. I challenge you. Position yourself in a posture before God that says, God, I want everything that you have to offer in this life. Stretch me, mold me, shape me into the man and the woman that you want me to be. Open your Bibles to Genesis 11:31. 31. I'm going to share with you guys a story in which God stretches someone's faith. God calls a man to go to a place that he's never been, and God promises him an eternal blessing. Genesis 11, we're going to begin in verse 31. See, the cool thing about journeying with God is that there are always new places that he wants to take us. A true spiritual life, the Christian life, is anything but boring. It's anything but mundane or routine or ritualistic. A true vibrant spiritual life is always open to the new places that God wants to take us. Because when he takes us there, he stretches us, he grows us, and he blesses us. In Genesis 1, we'll set the stage. God creates heaven and earth, and then he creates the pinnacle of his creation, me and you, humankind, in his image. The first six days, God says it's good, but then on this, like after, after he, he creates us, he, does, he doesn't just say it's good, he says it's very good. Because finally he had created something in his image, us, that could relate to him on a best friendship level. You know, we, we were created to be best friends with God, to walk with him, talk with him, hang out with him, and to bring him glory in everything that we say and do, and he said it's good, and he blesses creation. But we know what happened along the way, Adam and Eve were tempted by the evil one and something happened in their brain where they convinced themselves that their way was better than God's way. They convinced themselves that if they took control and power of their individual lives, they could achieve what God has and what happened. Of course, that never works. Sin creeps into human existence. They fall. And then it creates this ripple effect that goes throughout all of human history. As Then we see their, their children, Cain and Abel, brother against brother. Violence enters the stage until finally we get to the period of Noah. And God looks down on his creation that he blessed and cared for and loved so much. And he says what? He says, it grieves me. It brings me deep pain like a father feels when you're rebelling against me. I- I'm sorry that I even created you. It, cre- it-, it created this sense of deep anguish and pain in God's heart. But God found one righteous person. His name was what? Noah. And he, and he makes a covenant with Noah. He says, through you, I'm going to save humanity. This family that's going in disarray, I'm going to save them through you. So as, as God saves us through Noah, humanity has a fresh start, a new beginning. But would we make different choices? Would we turn to God, a God that was continually pursuing us, continually to, to to whisper his love, to shout his grace and mercy into our lives? Noah has kids. He, he had a son named Shem, and Shem has kids. And then they have kids until we finally get, in Genesis eleven thirty one 31, to this guy named Terah. Terah had a son named Abram. Abram married a, a lady named Sarai. Her, her name and his name would later be changed, right? But his wife couldn't have kids. And this family is migrating toward a destination, toward a land called Canaan. At the end of this chapter, and the text focuses on this family, and it really begs the question from the reader, not only what is going to happen to this immediate family, but what's going to happen to the family of humanity? What kind of choices will we make for the forgiveness and grace and mercy that God has given us? What will be our future? Genesis eleven 31, let's read it. it says, Torah took son Abram, his grandson, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of his son, Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. They were moving to Canaan, but they settled in Haran. The text doesn't give us a real clear definition of this. It just says that they settled in Haran. There's a famous hiking mountain ski resort in the Swiss Alps in which businesses often send their employees to. And for this experience of team camaraderie and building community with each other and, and, and teamwork with one another, they have them go on this eight-hour hike. Now that might sound crazy, but it's a very average hike. It's a very normal hike that any normal person with hiking ability can make. And so they've, they've found this. They've actually done studies and found this to be true almost in every case. That as these groups of people begin on this hike, as soon as they begin, they're stoked. They're excited. They're amped. They're taking pictures of themselves. They're putting selfies on Instagram and Facebook. Like, everything is exciting. They're, they're high-fiving, and they're going on this hike. And so as soon as they go up, they never take a break. They don't even take a break, typically, until they get to the halfway point. And at the halfway point, there's this, like, mountainside cabin nestled neatly right in the side of the mountain, right at the halfway point. And what they find is that everyone seems to go in for a visit. And as they walk in, what they see is a fireplace. They see a bar where there's hot cocoa being served. There's a huge picturesque window where you can see this amazing, beautiful view of of where you just came from. And what they find over and over and over again is that once people enter that cozy, comfortable environment of that mountainside cabin, look at the view and revel in what they accomplished, almost no one leaves to hike up to the summit. There is uh, a significantly smaller percentage of people that actually leave and go all the way up to experience a new horizon, to experience the summit, the peak of the mountain. Terah and his family were moving to a destination that we would later find out to be the promised land for the people of God, but they settled in Haran. Now, the original language in the text here shows us that the place of Haran, the name Haran, actually means parched. It means found wanting, means thirsty. They settled in a place that was good enough, but not God's best intention for their life. And they were left in a place where they were found wanting, thirsty. Begging for more. Terah set out for Canaan, but settled in Haran. Whenever we settle for an existence, and the reason why I use the word existence is because when you settle for an existence apart from God, it's not life. True life is only life in God. When you settle for an existence that is apart from God, it keeps us from becoming blessable. If we're honest with ourselves, I think this may be where many of us find ourselves today. I think many of us aren't where we used to be, but we're not where we should be. Maybe at one point we were searching for love, but we settled for lust. Maybe God gave us a calling at one point in our life to pursue a career, a job, or a ministry that is greater than ourselves, yet we settled for something that just gets us by, just pays the bills, and we're frustrated in this cycle of defeat over and over again. Maybe, like me, during many seasons of my life, even times growing up here in this church, we got to church, but we never got to Jesus. We got to the environment, to the place where we were supposed to experience true life, but we never completely surrendered everything to God to experience that life. Maybe that's where you find yourself today. Maybe that's where you've been in 2013. Well, the good news is that God always gives us a fresh start. That through Jesus Christ, he's always pursuing us and giving us something new, something fresh, true life. By the way, look at what happens to us when we settle in life. Look what happened to Torah. Look in verse 32. Here's how his story ends. simply says this, Torah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. When you settle in life, For second best, when you settle for an existence that is apart from God and not His true best in your life, you don't gain more energy. You don't refuel yourself in the Lord. You die. You become parched. You become found wanting something more, and you continue to go after the created things in this world and not the Creator. And when we worship the created things in this world and not the creator, it never satisfies us and it never fulfills us. But the amazing thing about turning to Jesus Christ and about simply humbling yourself before him and saying, everything is yours. No room of my home will be left closed to you. Everything is open to you. Jesus' new life that he gives you Mm. the flesh and bone Jesus that raised from the dead that is in heaven praying for you right now, that same life and power lives inside you. I don't understand that fully. The new life of the flesh and bone Jesus that lives in heaven now, that raised him from the dead, and that same spirit, if you choose him, lives inside you. That's crazy. That's when new life begins to birth forth and you step into a new story, a redeemed story. So Genesis 11 closes and then Genesis 12, 1, the voice of God bursts forth to a man named Abram. And it says this, follow along, it says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. I'll do what? I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God wants to move you from being faithless to being faithful. He wants to move you from being potential into being potent people. I'm convinced that there is so much potential In this room, brimming, kind of waiting to erupt from your lives. If we all would just get to a point where we say enough is enough, I'm sick of the habits and the patterns and the enslavement and the the failure and forgiveness and just trying harder to be a good Christian lifestyle, and we will just say, God, I give it all to you. No matter the cost, he will bring some crazy fruit, some unexpected unexpected fruit into your life, and that's going to bless so many people around you, and that's when the world begins to change. Notice within our text that God's promised blessing to Abraham is directly linked to Abraham's complete surrender. The things that Abraham is co- commanded to leave are, are ordered in a very intentional order, from less intimate to more intimate. Check it out. He's, he's commanded to leave number one is land so it's this this area this geographical area then the circle gets smaller he's commanded to leave his clan his tribe and then the circle gets even smaller and he says it says i'm, I'm calling you to leave your family your land your clan and your family and if you know anything about the ancient times your land your clan and your family was what your identity There were no individuals back in that time period. All of our identity would have been wrapped up in our land, our clan, and our family. You are nothing apart from your community. So what God's doing here is calling Abraham to a radical new story. A radical new step of faith. A completely realignment of his identity. That's why later it makes sense that God changes his name to Abraham. Abraham. He was once Abram, and now he's Abraham. And then he takes him outside at one point in Genesis. And this is really easy to do here in Michigan, not as easy to do in California. But he showed him the stars. We don't even see stars. (laughs) And he says, check out the stars. Can you count them? No. And he says, if you surrender everything to me, I will give you a new identity. And the blessing in your life will outnumber the stars that are in the sky. And we're all here because of Abraham. He says, all the peoples of the earth, all the nations of the earth, will be blessed through your obedience to me. A radical, radical shift. And so this morning, maybe for a long time, your identity has been wrapped up in your job, what you do. A lot of times that's the first thing we ask people when we meet them. Hey, what do you do? Like that's their identity. That's not your identity. Maybe your identity is in your talents, your skills, your abilities, sports you're good at, musical stuff that God's given you. Maybe your identity is wrapped up in the negative stuff in your life, your weaknesses, your failures, the scripts of deceit and lies that the enemy has whispered into your soul that you're not worth it, you're not good enough that you'll you'll never amount to the dreams that you dreamt when you were a kid. God is telling us here in the Scripture, and He's telling us in this new year, if you surrender your identity to Me, you are a child of God. You are an heir to the King. You are chosen. You are loved. You are cherished. You are good enough through Me. Your righteousness is found in my son Jesus. You know when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin, our brokenness, our weakness. When God views our righteousness, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's crazy. That is our new identity. And that's what God's calling Abraham here to do. The temptations in this world are nasty. Temptations for wealth, temptations for sexual sin, temptations to rely on our own strength at our job, temptations to not give everything we have to our family, to our wife, to our husband, to our kids, to our mom, to our dad. Temptations are nasty in this life, and they come day in and day out. I want to teach you guys a word that I learned in California that I had to get used to, all right? Then the word is gnarly, all right? It's kind of a surf term. I had to get used to saying this, but I actually say it nowadays. It's kind of embarrassing coming back admitting this, but gnarly. The word gnarly, say it with me. Gnarly. That feels good, right? All right. The word gnarly means extreme. It it means crazy. It means radical. When temptation gets nasty, you've got to get gnarly. Remember that. When temptation in your life gets nasty, you've got to get gnarly. No one has ever drifted into discipleship to Jesus. No one has ever floated into godliness. No one has ever wandered into holiness. Every morning that you wake up, I want you to remind yourself, and I've had to remind myself, that there is an all out war for your soul. The enemy wants nothing better than to destroy and demolish your soul. And we can gain everything in this world yet lose our soul. And it doesn't matter. More than anything, more than a personal relationship with Jesus, a life of faith is a battle. It is a battle that you have to wake up every single morning and you have to ask yourself this question, where does my allegiance lie, with the world or with God? Every single morning, who am I going to serve today, myself and the world, or am I going to serve God? An all-out battle for your soul. And the awesome thing is that God gives us this amazing strength. That if we surrender it all to Jesus Christ, he is faithful and he is true that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. Sometimes when you surrender things in life to the Lord, it's not like the Staples easy button that you can push. All of life gets solved. All of life gets easier. A lot of times when you truly surrender your life to Jesus Christ, things get more difficult. Have you ever experienced that? things get harder. Why do you think that is? The enemy knows his greatest fear for your life is not that you're on the street selling crack. His greatest fear for your life is to live in a consistent state of mediocrity that is good enough, where you've convinced yourself that my life is maybe not the best, but it's good enough to get by. That's right where the enemy wants you, and that's right where the enemy has had me many times. I encourage you, put together this year a spiritual disciplines battle plan. Get specific with it. Pastors and elders and deacons are going to be coming later, as my dad said, to pray a prayer of blessing in your life. And here's one thing I ask you not to do. I ask you not to say to them as they ask you, what can I pray with you for? Don't just say, please bless my life this year. Or I just want God to do something. What I've experienced in life is that sin and mediocrity loves ambiguity. Sin lives in ambiguity. It loves the murkiness. It loves when we're just bland. Get specific. Is it your marriage? Is it your relationship? Is it your purity? Is it your finances? Is it your pride? Is it your fear of losing control? Get specific with it. Then God brings fruit. Then all these shackles that have enslaved you, these habits and these patterns and these routines that you've had enslave you in 2013 will begin to immediately fall off and the freedom of the Lord will rush in. God was asking Abraham to see the unseen and to trust him and to move with him into the beautiful unknown so that Abraham could see that all of life's blessings were tied to being with God, trusting in him, moving with him. Another hiking story. So we used to go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee quite a bit growing up and we would go hiking and Julie and I can remember that one time we hiked this mountain called the Chimneys. You probably have heard about the Chimneys, all right? And this one day, we were so excited to hike the chimneys, and so we got all of our gear on, we started the journey, got our water, prepped for it, and we got about three-quarters of the way up, and it started pouring down rain. And if you're with my dad, you know that there's really no choice to go back. There's no cozy cabin that you get to sit in, warm yourself by the fire, and get hot chocolate. It is going to the summit. Amen. And so we got about three-quarters of the way up, and we're like, oh, okay, I don't know like, we're slipping, there's mud, stones are kind of, like, being washed down this trail, and we're just saying, let's go for it. And so we kept going and kept pushing forward, and the rain came down harder and harder and harder. And then all of a sudden, we get to the base of the chimney, so you get to the base of the summit, and there's this, like, sheer rock area that you have to climb. And as we got to the base area... Not only was pouring harder, but it started raining, uh, thundering, lightning, and it was like, okay, we're insane at this point. What are we doing? We're like the only people up there, right? Like seriously, what are we doing at this point? But we're like, you know what, we came all this way, we're going to go all the way to the top. And so we, we climb hand after hand, and I can just remember my dad was leading the way. And we finally made it. It was slippery and all, but made it all the way to the top. But then it got even crazier. Lightning and thunder, and we had nowhere to go. And we just thought to ourselves, you know what? Maybe this wasn't a good idea. We're on the top, we're on the top peak of a rock, and there's lightning coming down. And so I can remember my dad saying, kids, come here. And the reason why this mountain was called the chimneys was, there was there's two chimneys, uh, two, two hollowed out parts in the rock. That, that go up and down, and smoke and, and all, not smoke, but uh, fog and stuff goes, goes up through it, so it looks like a chimney, and he said, follow me, and my dad led the way and followed us, uh, brought us down into the chimney with him, and I can remember being there with Julie, and we, were, we had our trail mix in our hand, and we had ourselves braced against the rock in that chimney, hanging out with dad, and it was the best Oh, the best memory of that vacation. There was so much fear, so much anxiety that crept in as we got all the way up there. But you know what? I knew that everything would be okay because we were with my dad. Seriously. We we had so much trust and faith that he was going to take us to a place where we would be safe and we would be blessed. If you travel with God... No matter the circumstances, no matter the pain, no matter your weaknesses, your shortcomings, your failures in 2013, if you surrender to God and turn to him, he will never leave you. He will be faithful, and he will take you through it. So how did Abraham respond? Let's look at our last verse here in Genesis 12, 4 it says this. I love the simplistic beauty in scripture sometimes. So Abram left and did as the Lord had told him. Doesn't make it complex. So Abram listened to God and he left as the Lord had told him. How do we become blessable this morning? Sometimes we try to make things a little too complicated. We become blessable through humility, surrender, and obedience. Listen to the Lord and do what he says, and he will bless you. Read the the living word of the Lord that's in your hands. Ask him for direction. Obey his word, and he will bless your life. If Abraham didn't surrender and obey, then God wouldn't have made him great. Do you know that God wants to make you great? A lot of times we're uncomfortable with this idea of greatness. God wants to make you a great individual, a great person, but not for the purpose of self-fulfillment. God wants to make you great because he wants to make this world great again. God wants to bless you so that you can bless others. Blessing is never something for us just to hoard on our own, but it's always meant to be shared and expanded to other people. The sport that you become really good at in life, That you strive for the scholarship and hope to maybe even one day get paid for it is never just so that you can feel sweet about yourself. The talents, gifts, and abilities that God gives you is always so that you can bring the Lord glory and that fruit can come through your influence in life. The job that God has given you is never just to pay the bills or provide for your family, but it is to bring great work To this world for the glory of the Lord. That people can actually see the gospel message through your work. The money that you make is never just to build bigger houses. There's nothing wrong with these things. But it's never just to build bigger houses. Get more toys, more cars, more stuff to buy more stuff with. The money that you make is always intended for you to steward that in a way that expands fellowship in the church, compassion for those that are desperately in need, to bring people into your home for fun and for spiritual laughter and for a meal. All this stuff is so that we get to give it to others. That's the beautiful thing about this faith. You are blessed to be a blessing. In this year ahead, I'm convinced that God is calling all of us, including myself, to to press into trusting him like we've never trusted him before. To maybe make some radical steps in our life to realign our identity to who God is and who he's called you to become in 2014. I want you to get gnarly with it this year. Something that I did that I don't think everyone necessarily needs to do. I know I needed it because I hate discipline is I'm creating a red and green chart. So I'm making things practical for us this morning. I'm making a red and green chart this year for 2014. And the red side of the chart is all of the activities and the environments that I'm going to abstain from. Because they, th- these are the things that don't bring me into godliness. These are the things that, that, that set my life apart from God. And I'm committing to abstain from these experiences, from these activities, from these environments, from these these habits. And on the green side, I am writing down every activity, every environment, every, every relationship that I want to invest in. Everything that is going to bring fruit and wholeness and redemption and freedom into not only my life, but the kids that I minister to. The people at my church, the people in San Clemente, I challenge you guys, the only way that you're going to live a new and redeemed story, live the life you've always wanted, is not by reading another self-help book. It's by getting gnarly with maybe the sin in your life, the areas of enslavement, the frustrations, and getting specific and offering it, surrendering it to the Lord and saying, I pray, bless this. And there's so much truth in what my dad said about healing that goes with every area in life. You have to visualize the victory. Every successful athlete, a Peyton Manning, is is praised for his preparation because he visualizes everything the defense is going to do ahead of time. He's 10 steps ahead of the defense. Visualize the victory that God's going to give you through your discipline to the Lord, and he will bring some crazy, amazing fruit into your life. So I can have the keyboardist come up here and as as I wrap this thought up I'm asking you guys to make it practical as you pray in a moment as you come down here and pray for blessing get specific what areas of your life do you want soaked immersed in God's blessing this year your job finances your marriage your dating relationship friendships ministry sports team, school, and how are you putting yourself in a position, a posture of blessability? Get specific. Rehearse and verbalize the prophetic promises that God has given you. Thank God for the victory in advance. And lastly, how is your blessed life going to bless the lives of others this year? When the Holy Spirit, I don't know if you've ever experienced this or if you've been around people that have been radically transformed by the power and the newness of the Holy Spirit, when he really grips a hold of your life, you can't contain it. You ever been around those kind of people? They can't help but talk about, oh man, God's doing this amazing thing in my life. They want to share it so much because grace and peace will flow from you as you experience this new blessing. Paul begins pretty much every one of his letters in the New Testament with two words, grace and peace. Why? Because we know that guy was radically transformed by the Holy Spirit. And he wants to know grace and peace. Sending that to you. How is your life going to bless the lives of others this year? Who do you need to share Christ's love with? It's been really interesting. I've talked to a couple people over the last few weeks that have told me something that was really crazy that I never thought was the reality here in America. They said, you know what, no one in my life until this specific person, no one in my life has ever come up to me and told me face to face that God loved me, that God cared about me. I just assumed everyone here in America has had someone tell them that. Do you know that there's so many people in our world, maybe even some in this church today, that have never had a real life person come up to them face to face and say, God loves you. God cares about every little detail in your life. God sees what you're struggling with. God desires more than anything to give you a life that is beyond your wildest dreams. If, you turn to Him and surrender to Him. Maybe you've never heard that this morning and I just want to simply tell you God loves you. God cares about you. 2014 can be a new experience of new life that you've never stepped into before and i'm praying that that when i come back here next year i'm going to hear some amazing praise reports of you saying john check out what god did through my life because of my surrender to him check out the fruit that has come from my life that's my prayer for you may 2014 be a year filled by the blessing from the lord let's pray Lord, we're constantly reminded by the simple truth that we can do nothing apart from you. That every good gift comes from you. And God, I specifically pray for those that are sitting here this morning that Something has clicked in their heart. Maybe something has resonated in their soul in which they've said you know what I've lived in this state of mediocrity for far too long. I have these habits these things in my life that I I somehow convinced myself would satisfy me. I somehow believe that this was the best that I could do. I I, want to pray for that individual right now. Be free. May the power of the Holy Spirit that comes through the risen and new life of our Savior, Jesus Christ, free you right now. God wants to bring some amazing fruit through your life. And you're holding on to things that are not going to have eternal value. Lord, we give all of our lives to you. We praise you and we thank you for the amazing fruit that's going to come in 2014. And we're going to be careful to give you all the praise and glory in advance and afterwards as you do these things. It's through your son's powerful name, the name of Jesus, that we shout this praise and give you glory. Amen.
0: Are you blessable? I pray that you won't settle in Haran, but that you'll move on to all that God has for you. Some have settled for the breeze. God wants to give you the wind. Some have settled for a trickle. God wants to pour forth a mighty river in and through your life. Don't settle for a spark. He's got a holy fire to breathe upon you, amen?